Let's talk about a doctor. I'm going to tell you two rules about touch that are so important. One is touching is never a secret. So if anybody were to ever try to touch you and say it's a secret, you know that's an automatic do tell because touch, no aspect of touch is a secret. And touching is never a game. So if someone says it's just a game between you and me, you know that that's not allowed. You know that's a do tell. So let me ask you something. If you're going to go to the doctor and the doctor has to touch your private parts, why is the doctor touching you? He's touching you because he wants to make sure you're okay and that your body is safe, right? Does the doctor ask permission first? He does. Is mommy there? Mommy's there. Is it ever a secret when you go to the doctor? Mm-mm. Not a secret. Is it a game? Nope, it's not a game. So if the doctor is checking you to see if it's okay, and it's not a secret, and it's not a game, and mommy's there, then that's okay. But what would happen if you were uncomfortable with that doctor checking you? You just really weren't comfortable. You need to tell that to mommy too. I always want. As kids get older, we're able to explain that private isn't dirty or bad or secret. Private. Why do we go? We go to the bathroom in private. Because it's not something everybody sees. It's something we do privately. Everybody knows that we go to the bathroom. It's okay. It's not bad, right? Even when kids are much older, we imbue them with actually a higher value. So one of the things we do with even young kids: what are things that get covered as juice? What do we cover up as from juice? The Sefer Torah, a mezuzah, tefillin, right? What do they all have in common? They're all holy and beautiful and special, your body is too. And that's why you cover it up. So as they get older, we not only, ex we expand the world, we, we're starting to inculcate values of what healthy tzniyas is, what healthy body awareness is. So we want to move it away from just the pure concrete so that kids start to have a sense that this isn't just danger or taboo, there's refinement, there's a proper value, and it's something beautiful and sacred. Welcome back to the Jews Next Door podcast, where each month we explore a different topic of our parenting hierarchy with the goal of raising the next generation of passionate and committed Jews. I'm your host, Rabbi Yermanchel, and this month we are taking a break from our parenting hierarchy to do four episodes with the special focus on child safety in honor of Child Safety Month. And the first two episodes, we spoke about the parent-child relationship and the healthy home and how to really establish that. And in this episode, we're going to be doing the role-playing for the different types of conversations we should be having with our children. And we're joined by the experts in this area with Mrs. Debbie Fox, who is the founder and the director of Magen Yadim, and Dr. Shlemy Zerman, who's the founder and director of Child and Adult Psycho Psychological Services. And he's involved with Amudim, and he's an author, which you can see in the background right there, of a very, very important book that all parents of boys must, must read. It's, it's super important from, from, from boys to men. Really, really important. And uh, thank you both for, for taking the time to speak to us tonight. Really, really appreciate it. Sure. So I guess we'll get started just in, let's, let's start generally, and then we'll get into the, you know, the types of conversations of, you know, how, how as parents do we create an environment, something we spoke a little bit about in the first episode, but getting a little more specific now, creating an environment for our home that our children will see that we are the parents and that we're the ones who are teaching them about their bodies that we're the ones who are bringing things up and really, and everything is comfortable for them to talk about. And it's done in a, you know, 
that, that we're, that we do that in a natural way? Like how do we actually have that conversation? So I guess, you know, Mrs. Fox, why don't you start us off with that? I think that there are kind of two like rules that I like to give parents about how to speak to their kids um, that, that I find are very helpful. One is I really tell parents to learn what I call the peanut butter and jelly um, voice, the peanut butter and jelly approach. And that sounds very, very simple. And it is simple. But what it really means is if I were to ask any of my kids in the morning, do you want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a cream cheese sandwich? I don't really care what they say. So they say peanut butter and jelly or cream cheese. But my voice is very calm. My voice is very whatever you want, honey. It's very calm. And I think that our voice lets our children know, I'm here, I'm bringing this up, and I'm really comfortable talking to you. And so no matter what they say to us in return, or no matter what we're going to bring up to them, we want to have what I call a peanut butter and jelly voice. I'm here, I'm comfortable with this, and I can talk to you. I can bring it up. And I'm happy to be the one to bring it up. The, the second piece that I like to tell parents that I think is important is you have to look for windows of opportunity. Um, one thing kids will tell us is they hate when parents make this big deal of, we need to sit down and have the conversation. Um, kids are just like, oh, gosh, not again, you know, not one of these. Um, and right. on the other hand, if we find a natural opening in their lives to have a conversation about something and we bring it up in a very natural way, then it, then they can appreciate that. Then we've just kind of educated them with the opportunity. So I feel like those are two tools to create that safe atmosphere for conversation. Dr. Zimmerman, what would you say? Well, firstly, thanks so much uh, for hosting me and it's always a pleasure to be on a program with Debbie. Um, I think the most important thing is always modeling. And so we could talk about having openness and we could, you know, pontificate and share that idea. But if we're not actually doing it, the kids pick up. The vast majority of kids growing up in the previous generations, nobody told them not to discuss these things. And people always said, you know, come to me if you have a problem. But they picked up the message that certain things are not under that heading and it's not okay. So we actually have to be proactive and preemptive. And at every developmental stage, like Debbie said, we have to find those windows of opportunity and go through them. So we start at the basic level, even with preschoolers, naming body parts, safe helpers. And as they get older, we are more and more open and direct and explicit with children about what's going to change and what are the ways that they have to be safe, You know, both in terms of what might happen to them and what, as they get older, what they might even struggle with internally. So I think we, we have to be proactive. A lot of parents are very uncomfortable with that. They want to be able to say, oh, just come to me. And, you know, when you ask me, I'll fill you in. And it's an uncomfortable idea, but we have to get out ahead of these messages and actually teach them. Totally. And, I'm, you know, I'm curious, you mentioned, you both mentioned to, to be proactive and also to be, to bring it up in like this natural way. What, like, what's the natural way to do that in a pro, I mean, how do you, how do you naturally and proactive? I mean, what does that, what does that exactly look like? Or I guess, what would that setting be? So really that, that's Debbie's huge credit in terms of bringing safety kit to the world and having a child friendly, um, very general 
safety curriculum that has A, B, C, D of safety and ask for help for A, B, bring a friend, C, check first. Indeed, you're telling you start to teach young children about that and you can just roll it in when who's a safe helper when you're at the store. So, you know, when I go on a Chalamay trip to a new place, it's a, it's a game with the kids who can identify the first safe helper. Does somebody spot somebody in a uniform? Oh, there's a mom with children. Okay. How do you know it's a mommy with children? Oh, cause there's a mommy with a, a baby carriage there, right? So they're identifying that before they go, the bell rings on the door, before they answer, it's C, check first. Who's there? Check in with me before you open the door. So we starting from the most basic integration into regular life with no major sit down and talk, but we're proactively teaching them. So we taught them the basics of this and then we incorporated it into regular life. Got it. Got it. And is there like not sitting down and having the conversation, but what are there natural settings? Like you were saying, like Debbie, like you were saying, like, what is, what is a natural setting to kind of bring that up in a way besides for, you know, like, like you were saying, you know, Shlemy is like, you were saying to, to, you know, as you're going to an amusement park to see things, but are there natural settings besides for that, that we can start to bring that up even at an early age? I'm, I'm going to, I'd love to give you an example. It's not one at an early age, but I'd love to give you an example of what something that I think that in many ways was a missed opportunity in our community. And that is the whole Chaim Walder situation. And the reason I call that a missed opportunity is the majority of children learned about Chaim Walder from what the kids will call the hawk. They learned from each other in school and they came home and often got silence or we are getting rid of the books or we're not getting rid of the books. Parents didn't know what to say um, or it's Lush and Hara. We shouldn't talk about it, but very little discussion. And I feel that a window of opportunity would have been for a parent to be a parent and for a parent to say, thank you for bringing up the issue of Chaim Walder. I appreciate that you came to me and you wanted to discuss that with me because I'm your parent. I care. And you have heard these things about him. And I want to tell you something. Chaim Walder was inappropriate with children, with, with kids, with girls. He touched them. And anybody in our world who touches children, even though we respected him and he was so respected, we get rid of his books. We have no respect anymore because you can never do that. So in two minutes, my child learned that I told him the truth. I told him that we don't respect anybody who's ever inappropriate with the child. And he knows he can come to me. That was a window of opportunity. And it was a natural way for me to show him, as, as Shlemy said before, to show up and be the parent, to model it. Right. So Debbie's taking them, you know, a unfortunately, ho- hopefully rare window of opportunity. But she's saying even in that case where so many people shied away or gotten distracted by some of the other important elements, but missed this, you know, opportunity to talk to the kids about what is it that we learn for as a child that we no longer respect this person, that I can tell you about it. I'm going to be a source of information. You know, there is not, you know, the guy was good before and now we learn something and that changes our vantage point because nobody, no matter who they are, know how prominent, know how many books they wrote, know how many people they impacted. When they cross that line, that line is forever crossed. But, you know, with what Debbie does, really the safety kid and 
is to give these messages. There is an element of proactively having not a talk, but a very brief sort of sit down with kids where you teach them the basic sort of ideas about what are private parts, not touching and, and, and simple, simple messages like, you know, mommy and daddy love you. Nothing you do will change that. Nothing will take it away. If you did something bad, I might not like what you did, but I always will love you. I want to hear the good and bad things that happened to you, right? One of those messages. Another kind of message. There are three kinds of touch. Yes, touch. Like when mommy hugs you, it feels good. No touch is like somebody hits you. It hurts. It doesn't feel good. And then I don't know touch. It doesn't hurt, but it makes you feel funny or confused. And we say, no, run away. And Debbie has this amazing thing. We could do this. It's hard for people to envision how child-friendly this can be until you're actually in a kindergarten with a bunch of kids and we teach them <coughs> run, scream, and make a scene. And you have a group of 25 kids, you know, getting together and saying, no, and they run away. And it's, it's fun for them. It's exciting. It's empowering. It's exhilarating. So there are proactive moments when we decide to actually teach the basics. And then it's throughout the regular routine of life that we remind and integrate. They ask for help into general context. Be bring a friend that you're safer, whether you're going on a playground and you might, you know, fall down or get lost. But there's also be bring a friend because you're safer against somebody who might want to try to touch you inappropriately. The seat check first works for, you know, a mishulah who comes to the door. It also works for a change of plan who might pick you up from yeshiva if somebody's trying to lure you into a situation. So we're doing all of these kind of things. And the D do tell is something difficult happened. It might be that you got bullied on the playground, but there's a constant message of D do tell. It's a safe thing to do. So those are ways that you can have these moments of opportunity and you proactively do them. And then it's very easy to pepper them in to the day-to-day living routine. Got it. Got it. So, you know, in terms of that conversation, you know, getting, let's, let's get right into that actual conversation. Specifically, let's talk about, you know, naming the body parts, talking to them about it. What, where, what's the situation? Where, where does that conversation take place? What does that conversation actually look like? Ms. Fox, can you take us through that a little bit? Sure. Um, One thing I'm going to say is before you, so to speak, have that conversation with your children, I think husband and wife, mom and dad have to have a conversation and they have to be clear about how they want to identify the names of the, of the, of your child's private areas of their body. What's most ideal would be to utilize the, the biological names, the anatomical names of their body parts. That way they clearly know what you're talking about. You can identify them for them. The younger you identify them for your kids, the more natural the conversation because they don't know the difference between knee and elbow and the name of a body part. But if you and your husband feel that you're not comfortable using the anatomical names, then choose a name that fits for each private area of their body that is different, a way that they can identify or say to you something happened or they can identify that particular body part for you and tell you what occurred. In other words, if what you say to your children is all your private parts are a tushy, then they can't identify what's either hurting or what somebody tried to touch or what they have a question about. So give it separate names that you're comfortable with. So that's a conversation between mom and dad before you talk to your kids, right? I just, I just want to jump in on, on, on that point, Debbie. Just, what, just 
there's a there's a crucial element to to that piece aside for identification and you know if it gets hurt or somebody touches it there's a subconscious communication when a child has fingers and toes and knees and elbows and everything between the knee and belly button front and back is a tushy the kids pick up there's something taboo there's something different there's something not okay so it's not just an informational thing and you can make up euphemisms there's an issue of being able to articulate that this is a normal part of your body and development, and these are conversations we could have. And that doesn't matter in what language, if you want to use Lashanat Torah, it has to be that there's a, something we could talk about. We can explain that we use a language that's more tsunua because it's private and holy, but it has to be clear. I can communicate with you. You can communicate with me. It is okay, healthy, normal. And if anything, it's beautiful and holy. I just wanted to add that, that piece. But then, then we go ahead in terms of the, then how does that, that after the husband and wife had that conversation have come to some consensus, what, what, what happens? Yes, thank you, Shlemy, because it's so important. Because part of what the way even Shlemy said it before of modeling, if what we're modeling is that anything between your knees and your shoulders we can't identify or talk about, they hear that. They hear that very clearly. So we have to have very specific names as close as possible. If you want it to be Tzniyas, that's okay but as close as possible so that they know that there is a name for their private area of their body. Okay. So it's also so important just, you know, just to interject for one second, the, the, the parents having that conversation first is so important because parents probably grew up in, in a, in, in their, the way that they were raised, it actually was that taboo. So it actually probably was not comfortable or is not comfortable for them to necessarily talk about it because they grew up thinking it is not something we should actually talk about. So it's really like this weird thing where it's like, wait, I'm supposed to be child, you know, raising my children and talking about it, but I didn't grow up that way. So it's like a little bit weird. And it's, um, I, you know, I think it's so important, like you're saying to really bring it up. And like you said, just let me like, it's, it's really, it's, we don't want it to be that taboo. That's, that's really, it's very important. Very important. I think something also that parents need to kind of be aware of is that by the time the kids are about five or six, they do know the names of their private parts. They've learned them from their friends. And so it's not that they're not going to know. They're going to know. They're just going to know their parents weren't comfortable telling them. Right? Mm -hmm. So it if if a parent can be the one to say them, and like I say, Really, the earlier you teach them, the more comfortable. It's, it's really less, it's, it's less uncomfortable the younger they are in a bath, a nose, an elbow, toes, and to naturally say names of body parts. Um, but if not, I fully agree with Slimy. There needs to be very specific names that they can talk about and that they can say. And, um, the research does show that children that can identify the names of their body parts are less likely to be molested than children who cannot. And because also that means that they can't go to a parent and say something because the parent hasn't brought it up to them. And, and just to add one additional caveat, just so we're clear, that would mean that even if a person is choosing to use a different uh language than the proper anatomical names, 
then there should be at least once where you use the secular anatomical names so that no matter what, when the kids inevitably hear that, that it's not that, oh, mom and dad can't talk about this, or I don't know what that is. Let me ask my friend on the playground or look elsewhere that you've explained. Those are the names you might hear elsewhere. The reason we don't call that regularly is because of what's called Tznius or that. And if, and if it's really because you can't say those names and it's not because of Tznius or your Das Torah said that, that's something more than the conversation. you got to work out because we could talk about what to say and give you pointers. If you're turning purple and you can't even say the name of body parts, then how are you really going to impart to your child that you can be assertive and strong and nobody can touch you? And, and, and how can we feel bold and confident when somebody who, God forbid, is like a Chaim Walder, somebody who's going to use power or control or influence or relationship and charisma to try to manipulate and get a child and groom a child into abuse if you can, you're too squeamish even going there. So if you're doing it and it's from a place of, let's say, sneeze, it has to be from a place of pride and holiness and sensitivity. If it's coming from, like you said, that you grow up and it's all taboo and just uncomfortable, that is something as a parent, we got to step up big time because as Debbie was alluding to, the silence speaks volumes. The silence is deafening. And when kids can't get that, Besides for the names and the communication, they're getting loud and clear. This is something totally different than everything else. My parents can talk to me about everything and anything. This somehow is different. And that difference actually makes them very, very vulnerable. And that difference means I can't talk to you. If you can't talk to me, then obviously I can't come talk to you. So now, so what is, so let's you know, take us, so, you know, role play that conversation with us okay. a little bit about, so the, just gonna, about the body part. We're just going to talk for about a minute or so in that bath, right? So I'm going to say something like, um, good, are you having a good bath? Good. Let's take the soap and we're going to wash your whole body from the top of your head down to the bottom of your toes. So let's scrub your face. That's great. Nice and clean. And how about your chest? We're going to scrub, 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 and your arms and your hands and whatever you call their body parts. Yep. You're going to clean your body parts and your knees and your toes, right? We're going to tell them just to go through their body and you're bringing it up and you're telling them to clean it and you're bringing it up. And you're going to say, you know, it's very important that you know the rules about your body parts. Do you know the rules about your body parts? The rules are that nobody is allowed to touch or look at or even talk about the private areas of your body. Those are private just for you. So we don't let anybody look at or touch or talk about those areas. And you're not allowed to play with anybody else's private parts. You can't look at theirs or play with theirs. So. Those are the rules about touch. And at that age, I might just say that. But little things will come up. So let's say they get up and they run out of the bathroom and they're nude. Now, how many kids that happens to all the time, right? So you might take a towel and wrap it around them and reinforce your rule. Oh, my, we have to wear a towel because we make sure that we protect the private areas of our body we always keep them covered. So we want to make sure that we protect them. We don't, we don't run around with our, like that. We just make sure that we protect them. Or let's put your PJs on. That would be a good thing to do because those areas of our body are private. 
So you just do that very loving and naturally. You don't judge them. You don't put them down. You just very naturally do it. And if I could, I want to just go to one other area with these little ones. And that's that moms and dads are going to find these four to five-year-olds playing doctor or playing with other kids and doing a little bit of touching games or curiosity or doctor games. And I think knowing how to respond to that is really important. So first of all, I think it's really important for parents to know that children are curious, curious, and it's normative. It's normative for a four or five-year-old to look at another and as long as it's consensual and they're the same age, um, basically, generally, if you, what I say is state the rule and redirect. So what you say is, oops, we don't play doctor that way. We never play games with the private areas of the body. So I want you to come into the kitchen with me. I'm going to give you chocolate chip cookies. And you'll stay in the kitchen and I'm going to bring magnet tiles to the table. So state the rule, but we're not going to play with the private areas of the body because we never play games with the private areas of the body. But you can come in here and you can play with, with magnet tiles at the table. So you redirect and supervise, right? What would you be? And you're specifically calling it private parts as opposed to the actual parts in that, in that type of, in that type of situation. In that setting, I'd say private areas of the body. If there's another kid there and you're doing, I would say we wouldn't play. Part of the rules that we do teach them are that touching the private areas of the body is never a game and touching the private areas of the body is never a secret. So it's never a game. So we don't play games with the private areas of the body, but we don't want to shame them. We don't want to make them feel bad. We just want to clearly state the rule. Okay. We never play games with the private areas of the body and come in here and we're going to do this. So you want to be very clear about the rule, but redirect and supervise. One thing that often parents have asked is, what if they're playing something and I'm not sure what's going on? I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if it's consensual. I don't know what they're doing. And what I often say is, A, remember that peanut butter and jelly voice, be calm. And what I say is just be curious, just be curious. Hmm. We don't play games with the private areas of, of your body. How did you play that game? Can you tell me about the game? What are the rules of that game? Who taught you mm-hmm. that game? How do you... How, who played that game with you? Did anybody else play ever that ever played that game with you? What are the rules of that game? How does it go? Tell me about it. Because if you're using your peanut butter and jelly voice and you're clearly showing them they're not in trouble, but you just want to know all about that game, that's how you get information as to whether or not that's just a simple game that they really do need to be told the rule and redirected, you really need to go over the rules with them and redirect it, or whether more has occurred. But we need to just be curious so that they can respond and let us know. A couple of things about that. So first of all, that peanut butter and jelly voice that Debbie's describing, for most parents coming on scene to kids playing doctor 
they're going to not have any peanut butter or jelly voice. If anything, they're going to be at like DEFCON 5 freak out. And so actually at that point, you know, it's a similar thing to what Debbie had, like get them back, you know, separate in the table clothing on and you go collect yourself actually and see that you can develop that peanut butter and jelly voice because otherwise, again, your nonverbals will speak much more loudly than your verbal communication. Also, while Debbie was very careful there about open-ended, curious questions, many parents in that moment, especially if they're confused or concerned, they start to become investigators. They're going to get to the bottom of this game and they're like, no, no, no. Where did you learn this game? Who taught you this game? And they're almost like, come on, I got to find the abuser. And children, especially young children, are extremely suggestible and they're going to sense, oh, you know, something's up here and mom or dad needs a person. And that is actually exceedingly dangerous. So it needs to be very relaxed and calm and stay very high level. Hey, what was that? What was going on? Who does what in the game? Where'd you learn it? Um, Because if you go too far down that, or especially if you're anxious, you can start to really distort things. And if it ever, God forbid, you know, reaches a level where you're really concerned that at that level, you want to get a professional consult as to how to frame the questions. But if you stay very curious, high level, like you just came onto them playing some strange game you never saw before, but like a board game, you said, hey, where did the board game come from? Who bought it for you? What are the rules, right? Then you're in the clear and it's good. So, but again, the vast majority of these things are much more how the parent is actually feeling and experiencing than what they're going to say and how they say it. And it's so much like Debbie talked about first having the conversation with your spouse. Here, a lot of that is collect yourself. The vast majority of times when children are playing, especially when you walk in on two younger children playing, the vast majority of the time it's kosher, you know? We're, we're two people who deal with abuse constantly, but the vast majority of that situation is quite kosher. And you, you want to walk in with the assumption that's kosher and it's just curious. Um, and you don't want to delve too far into it because kids will start making up even who taught them the game, what game, you know, they just made this game up on the spot. And that's cool for them to tell you, hey, you know, we just created this. <laughs> we just made up the rules now. Um, and you leave it at that. You take that bit of information and you pause there rather than, oh, no, 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 I'm going to find where this game comes from. Who's the sinister person who got this game going? You want to be very bounded with that. It's very interesting also because like I think what you said is so true that I think right in that moment, it it would be hard for parents to, to not necessarily react in a strong way, especially when, you know, we're, there's so much talk about how we have to make sure that we're the ones who are helping our children. And then it's like, my child just ran out of the bath naked. Like, how yeah. am I not going to react in this situation? So it, it's hard. How, how would a parent actually, you know, take that? Like, wait, wait, hold on. I need to react calm, cool, calm and collected right now. Like, how does that? A lot easier said than done. I myself lost it once many years ago with two, two, one kid, you know, playing with the, like one of these doctor games and I scream like a banshee. Um, so it, you, you, you know, it is hard in that moment when your mind goes to that place. Uh, you, it's very scary. So the, it's like before you're, you know, you react very badly when your kid, you know, broke something or, you know, you know, really was chutzpahdik or something. You do your utmost to get yourself out of that red zone and, and bring yourself down. But going with the mind frame that the vast majority of these things are both developmentally normative and also 
not damaging, when it's normative and it's healthy and it's exploratory, it doesn't hurt the children. It doesn't mean we allow it to continue the same way when my toddler takes his orange juice and spills it off his high chair all over the floor. It's normative. It's not damaging, but I don't let it continue, right? Mm -hmm. This thing is normative and very natural and no debt, not damaged. The parents, we're in, um, we're victims of our success in abuse prevention. So now everybody's got on their head, oh gosh, abuse, and I found it, and what am I going to do? And a lot of the time, this is just kids playing. And if you actually want to be pretty freaked out, go into a yeshiva preschool bathroom. Um, it's chaos. There's, you know, kids with swords under the stall, over the stall, and you know, and that is somewhat natural. Again, schools have to be mindful not to allow that to happen and to set these rules. But where children are, because children play to figure out their world and they explore. And it's the less they know about this, the more curious they are, the more this is taboo or special, the more they're going to explore and play. And that's where what Debbie was saying is so important when at first level, it's just a restating of the rule a redirection, modeling an appropriate substitute behavior, and then supervising to ensure that that's what happens. And everybody seems calm, regulated, and went back to another play game as if you redirect them. No, you guys were fighting over the magnet tiles, so now we're at Legos. All right? Sure. That kind of thing. So I'm curious, you know, while we're in this like bath conversation, what are your thoughts, what are both your thoughts on children having, you know, baths together where they're then going to be in that type of situation. And then you're, then you're like kind of putting yourself in a situation where you have to police that and, or, 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 or do you not need to police that? And is it just like, okay, we go naturally. Like, what, what, what do we do in that type of situation? I'll just repeat. We have a wonderful, wonderful pediatrician in Los Angeles from pediatrician, Dr. Nagel, very, very loved by the community. And we asked him this question many years ago and his comment was, as long as the kids don't know the difference, don't highlight it, don't make a big deal of it, don't you. And if the kids are naturally bathing together and they're not highlighting the differences, then you don't have to highlight them either. But when they start to really notice those differences and point them out, that's the time where you separate them. And I think we've kind of used when that. When you say notice that difference, you're saying it, to like, call out the body parts they're touching each other's body parts or or like like it, let's just be yeah if they start saying you know if all they say is that you know she looks different or she doesn't have what i do or whatever it's a window of opportunity it's an it, to say yes that's mm -hmm. right this is what a girl's body looks like that's how the girls the girls are and you're a boy and your body looks like this and to identify in whatever way you do the name of the body part that you use for him and the name you use for her, and they're private. We don't touch each other. And that's it. So it's an opportunity to show that they can bring it up to you, that there's a difference. Once, if they become curious and they want to touch each other in the private areas of the body and whatever, then it's time to separate them in terms of a, of a bath. And what if they're not doing it out of curiosity, but they're doing it more in like a playful way? Like they're just like, or I would actually, let's, let's direct the question also. Let's say we're talking about a couple of brothers. We're talking about just boys together or just girls together where they're not doing it. They're, they're not, it's not a curiosity thing. They're just like being like silly kids, you know, kids being kids. That, that's exactly, 
that's our cue. When they start to notice and they're starting to play, that's where they're trying to explore and they're trying to make sense of it, which is healthy and natural. But that's also our cue that we don't want to keep that game going the same way we separate them when they're on the play date, right? That's, that's our cue. And usually a little bit before that, that's your cue that bath time has to be separate. Um, you know, there's a natural part when an older brother is watching his baby sister get changed and he knows, hey, she doesn't have that. And it's not like you're never going to let him watch the baby get changed again or you're going to change in private, right? There's an educational opportunity of, yes, our bodies are different. And we don't sit and stare. Mommy or daddy has to change the baby or the babysitter. But that's the difference between our bodies. And that's a private place. And that's why we even cover both the baby has to be so they don't pee or poop everywhere. But also even young babies, we get covered. And that's a cue once the kids are exploring you don't, same thing. You don't quickly pick them up out of the bath. Oy vey, it's the time, right? You start learning. Yes. And that's where we learn that our parts of our body are private. And you're a big boy now or you're a big girl now. So now is when you're going to get your own private bath time. And now is where mommy's still going to help you or still be here, but you're going to start to wash yourself. And that's, again, the developmental trajectory moving into your together you're separate. You're starting to wash independently. Mommy's helping you less and less. And eventually you're doing this all by yourself. And similarly, you're changing then in the back. You don't come out without a towel, without a robe, right? You learn in that developmental space. Here's what we cover up. You know, we don't run naked to our bedroom and change there. We learn to bring a towel or robe or our pajamas into the bedroom. And that's just very natural as things move. Except for that you're the parent. You initiate these. That's what they're learning. I'm the parent, and I can talk about it. I do want to just, Rabbi Menchel, bring up just one piece that I do think is important, which is we've talked about a lot of things that are normative, and these are all normative. And I think it's just so important that parents be aware of that and be comfortable with that and, and look at how you deal with it. But I think it is important to know when would you... Slimy brought up before, you know, then you would call call a mental health professional and discuss it. So let's just talk about some of the things that a parent might be concerned about. So any child who would use his mouth on another child's private parts, I would be concerned about that. If a child, you, you've, you've stated the rule, you've redirected, and we had a situation once where the child, uh, a six-year-old boy, pulled a five-year-old girl into the bathroom after the cookies and the magnetiles and locked her in the bathroom. And she's screaming, but my mommy said, you can't pull my panties down. And he's locking her in a bathroom and doing it anyway. That's something I would be concerned about. It rarely happens, but it's something I'd be concerned about. If a child threatens at five or six years old, or a child threatens that this is a secret and I'll, I'll kill you or I'll beat you up if you tell anybody, a threat is something at that age I'd be concerned about. And the other thing I'd be concerned about would be if they are showing real adult-like behaviors. If, if the, the, the behaviors that they're showing are very adult-like and you really can't figure out exactly where they learned that, those are all things I would be concerned about. And I would contact an experienced mental health professional and, and run it by them and discuss with them, you know, what you might need to do and if there are concerns. Sure. So, and just to add, Debbie 
highlighted some of the, what we would call absolute red flags. So where there's actual coercion, force, aggression, uh, adult-like behavior. So those are already in our red flag camp. That needs immediate contact with a mental health professional. There's sort of this yellow flag area of the kid doesn't redirect so well. But many times the kid, you know, doesn't always behave, right? So with any behaviors, you know, the kid keeps touching themselves in public or doesn't always change in private and it's happening again, right? Things are in the yellow area where it doesn't respond immediately to redirection. Um, if there's any uh, intense exploration, which isn't necessarily forceful or coercive, but it's rough, there's anger or fear. There's intense emotion around it. It's not just playful. Those are the kinds of things that end us in a yellow flag area. And for that, again, parents don't have to feel like they have to do this alone. The same way, you know, your kid gets physically ill one day, two days, you don't call the doctor after day three. You say, hey, you know, let's check this out. You can pick up the phone to an experienced mental health professional and ask them, is this, what should I say? How do I do this? Is something to be concerned about? It's, it's exceedingly difficult as a parent. It's, in general, you don't have training in this. And certainly these areas bring up so many intense emotions that to put the onus on parents to decide that's too much. So, you know, the same time, we don't want to, most of the calls that I get frantically, preemptively are kids playing with themselves. Uh, oh my gosh, is my kid, you know, doing something fun? No, it's a very natural, safe, exploratory thing. Again, if it becomes compulsive, that's the only way they soothe. They keep doing it in public. There start to be markers that indicate this is a little different than just a sensory seeking, exploratory, interesting process. So as it builds either on the behavior continues or there's emotionality there, that's where you as a parent can say, you know what, let me check it out with somebody. That doesn't mean you bring the kid in and we're going to do an evaluation. That means we're going to have a brief conversation and try to help guide you as to, is that, no, that's in the green zone. It's totally fine. Yellow, here, here's what to look out for. Here's how to say things. Here's what to educate. Red flag, no, let's, let's talk about how we need to intervene. Right. So I guess let's go, let's go to the next age, meaning at what point, at what age do we then advance the conversation more where, and, and what does that advancement look like in a, in a, you know, role-playing practical way? So I would say, you know, I don't, I don't know that I'd give it a specific age, but I would say probably, I mean, seven, eight, nine years old, definitely within the safety kit program. When they're six, we tell them the rules. So you can tell them it's six. It's fine. When we tell them in, in the classroom, we tell them the rules. And I have to say in the safety kit program, like Shlami brought it up, the kids love it. They, they, it's not done in a frightening way at all. And the kids love learning safety kids rules. Um, and that's what we teach them. That's what safety kids says. So what you might, what you want to do is, Obviously, again, you don't want to sit down and have the conversation. What you do want to do is to find a natural window of opportunity. Sometimes parents will say, well, wh what am I going to do now? I, you know, they're 10 or 11 years old. I've never had a conversation with them about it. And I often will say to them, say something like, you know, I was just thinking, we really haven't had a conversation about body safety, have we? Gee, I've, I should have had a conversation like that with you. We can do that now, but just find a way that you're comfortable to just say like, Hey, we never have discussed that, but I think it's important that we do. So I wanted to go through that with you. So you just find your own opening 
for doing that, right? So let me just say, these are what part of what we, we teach kids about personal safety. So we teach them, one of the things we'd say is, you know, I, I want to talk to you about keeping your body safe. It's really important that you know that your body belongs to you. It's your body. Your whole body belongs to you. You're in charge of your body. And everybody has to respect that. Everybody has to respect that this is your body and you're in charge. And you know what that means? That means that nobody has the right to touch or look at or even talk about the private areas of your body. And I want you to know that if anybody ever wanted or tried to touch or look at or even talk about the private areas of your body, I want you to either say no as loud as you can and you role play with them how they'd say no. Um, or sometimes kids say, I can't say no like that. I can't yell no like that. Then I want you to get away as fast as you can. Just get away. And the most important thing for you to do is to tell. That's what mommy calls a do tell. You have to come and you can say, mommy, I have a do tell. Or I want to tell you something very important. And you need to tell me who it was that wanted to touch or look at or talk about the private areas of your body. And even if you got so scared when that was happening that you couldn't get away and you didn't know how to say no, that's okay. I still want you to come and tell me because I'm the adult and I'm the one who's going to take care of you. Now, there's another important rule for you. And that's that you're not allowed to touch or look at or talk about anybody else's private parts. So you can't do that either, right? So you can't touch anybody else or look at their private parts either, even if they ask you to. And you can never ask anybody to do that to you, right? Those are, those are the rules. Now I have to ask you something. I said nobody. So what does that mean? Who's nobody's allowed? Who everybody has to respect that this is your body and that you're in charge? Does that mean, what about your aunt and uncle? Would they be allowed to look at or to touch your private parts? No. What about, what about your brother Ellie or your brother Yitzi? Would he be allowed to look at or touch your private areas of your body? No, never. What, what about a, a Rebbe? What about a Mora? What about anybody? Would anybody be allowed to look at or talk about or touch the private areas of your body? Nobody. It's an automatic no and do tell. You always want to tell me as quickly as possible because I'm the adult and I can, I can help. And I want you to know something. Even if they didn't touch you, but you just feel uncomfortable with them. You feel like they're looking at you. Or you feel like they're talking about your body. I want you to come tell me, Mommy, I felt uncomfortable with them. I, I didn't feel comfortable with that person or the way they talked to me. I didn't feel comfortable. Because even if you're not comfortable, I care. I will always care about anybody being inappropriate with you or touching you. And I will always be here to hear you and to take care of you. So you can always tell me. 
So that's what that conversation. And what if a child brings up like a doctor, let's say? Oh, that's a good thing to do. It's a wonderful, there you go. Wonderful window of opportunity. That's a great question. Thank you so much for asking that. Let's talk about a doctor. I'm going to tell you two rules about touch that are so important. One is touching is never a secret. So if anybody were to ever try to touch you and say it's a secret, you know that's an automatic do tell because touch, no aspect of touch is a secret and touching is never a game. So if someone says it's just a game between you and me, you know that that's not allowed. You know that's a do tell. So let me ask you something. If you're going to go to the doctor and the doctor has to touch your private parts, why is the doctor touching you? He's touching you because he wants to make sure you're okay and that your body is safe, right? Does the doctor ask permission first? He does. Is mommy there? Mommy's there. Is it ever a secret when you go to the doctor? Mm -mm. Not a secret. Is it a game? Nope, it's not a game. So if the doctor is checking you to see if it's okay, and it's not a secret, and it's not a game, and mommy's there, then that's okay. But what would happen if you were uncomfortable with that doctor checking you? You just really weren't comfortable. You need to tell that to mommy too. I always want to hear. It's always important. Just to just to add to that, because you're you're hitting on the the exceptions right away. So for younger younger kids, we want there's two levels to the question that you raised. Really, what we're hitting on naturally is the developmental levels for young kids, preschool up to like first grade. They're just following a rule, and that's the beauty of like safety kid. There's a rule. There's a safety kid. Nobody questions who's safety kid. Why is he allowed to make rules? Nobody asks that at that age, right? Safety kid is like moisture of him. He makes rules and finished, right? It's right. That's at a very young age, but there you need to express the exceptions. So mommy and daddy can touch you and we need to either change your you know, diapers for very young kids or check you if anything hurts you or bothers you or even help you in the shower or bath. Similar if a babysitter is one who's doing that, you include the babysitter. And it's easier if you actually preempt the doctor thing before you're going for an annual check. You say the doctor... One other person who's allowed to is a doctor is going to check you. And here's why. And that's where Debbie's rules apply. It's not secret. It's open. Most doctors today want, even want another person in the room, particularly young kids. It's usually the parent or, or a nurse. And you help the child feel uncomfortable. And even there, the child, like Debbie's saying, should feel comfortable. One of the developmental changes that happens as kids get older. So it's not that the rules change, but they're usually, A, they're beginning to try to understand it and they want to understand. And so we can add even if somebody threatens you or tells you they're going to hurt you or somebody else if you uh, don't go along with it or do tell, that you still tell because you're safe. You start expressing what's the difference between a secret and a surprise. What's the difference between paddling, Lashon Hara, and being a good friend? And you're able to articulate the differences of anything that is going to never be told. You, nobody can know about it. That's a secret. It's never allowed. A surprise is like something, wow, mommy's birthday is coming up. Daddy bought her a cake. Everybody's going to know tomorrow. Just keep that quiet till tomorrow because it's something everybody will know, but just not yet. That's something that's okay. We teach there's never Lush and Hara. If you're afraid for somebody's safety or it involves touch, it's never Lush and Hara. Right? We're able to scaffold these things developmentally as kids start to get it. And they might at some point say, 
who would do that? And sometimes we have to say, you know, you never know. It might be a friend. It might be an adult. There are certain adults that have this problem where they know it's wrong, but they do it anyway. And that's not okay. It doesn't matter which adult. So as you move through, you're, you're, you're preemptive. You're talking to kids, but you're also reacting to what they say and the questions they have and where they are developmentally. And they're going to start whether they ask, hey, but the, is the doctor different? Or they ask, my friend did this, or, is, you know, I thought we're not allowed to tattle, or why is it not or no, I can't tell you, and it's about something else. And you have to be very careful about when they're just telling you something. What is your messaging around when they're telling you for something to get their brother in trouble, and they hope, you know, good things, you know, come, you know, he'll lose his, uh, his reward and, you know, be vindicated, versus... They're telling you something that's of concern and they're not sure what to do with. And the other global message is anything that you're, if you're ever unsure, you come tell mommy and daddy about it. It's always, it's a mitzvah. And let mommy and daddy figure out what we do from there. Same thing as kids get older, we do have to express, um, you'll be believed, you won't be in trouble. And even if somebody threatens you, because the easiest thing for a, an abuser to use is on the reward side, it's easy. But if they just say, um, I will, you know, kill you and your family, right? For them, it's a throwaway line. For a kid, that's the most heavy, traumatizing burden that can exist. So at least it's not perfect. The last line of defense, and this is important to note, even here we're talking about this, kids being one-on-one -on -one with an abuser is already, they're in the lines then. It's our last line of defense. The biggest thing here that we're not discussing tonight because it's role plays is that, you know, child safety is an adult responsibility. You have to have many layers of, Supervision, policies and procedures, steps way that block any grooming so that a kid is not faced with. This is the end line because think about how many adults get into manipulative relationships, get abused, taken advantage of in business and personal relationships. So we're asking a child to defend themselves. We're giving them the tools because God forbid they're in the lines then we want to have something. But we have to remember we need to preempt this a lot, a lot of ways beforehand. We want to teach them proactively. These should be in their head. That even if somebody threatens you that something bad will happen to you or them or somebody else, that's never, mommy and daddy always know how to keep you safe. And we'll talk to the authorities to keep you safe. You just come tell. So, and you do that calmly so that thank, hopefully the vast majority of kids will never have to use that. But you lodged it in that God forbid somebody even took that dangerous a step. You've had that in there. And a lot of what we describe here uh, is what we call latent effects. You have no idea. You had this conversation. You did a drive-by. Doesn't look like anything. The kid just went on playing. You're not sure. Did they get it? Did they not get it? Is it? Kids pick up. And when we're coming in this situation down the line, it'll click in their brains. And we've seen this. And thankfully, we've had the schuss of having who knows how many people come tell us that in a situation, even later, in, you know, Debbie has a great story about dorm rooms. And uh, even, you know, as kids much older, or God forbid, in the basement of a shul, somebody came down and the kids run and scream. All of a sudden, they're not even sure. Why did I run and scream? Because they, they don't remember that in kindergarten and first grade, they practice that. But the, in the moments, a lot of times it's there. And even not, if they do get frozen or stuck or go along with it, which sadly happens, they at least have the de-do-tell that you go and tell. And these are, again, we just flesh these out naturally as kids age and as their cognitive and emotional abilities increase. How do we conduct a conversation with children to, so that they we they understand that touching is never a secret? So this is the beauty 
if you've done this at the youngest ages where private parts are never a game, they're never a secret, nobody's allowed to show them, touch them. So this should not be new. The goal is for this to be right. as baked in and as routine as you call 911, who's a safe helper? You bring a friend, touching's never a secret, right? And this idea is one of the rules we teach once kids are sort of out of that very young preschool game where they can even have a basic understanding of what a secret is, we teach them openly, touching's never a secret. Anybody who says to you, hey, or even information, you can never tell mommy or daddy about this, that's an instantaneous, I'm gonna tell mommy right away. And we teach the kids to say that. The second they hear, don't ever tell, I'm gonna tell, right? Because the last thing a person who wants to take advantage wants to hear is, I'm going straight. And so that actually is preemptive. And we, we teach that beforehand. And again, and this is as kids get older, we're able to explain that private isn't dirty or bad or secret. Private, why do we go? We go to the bathroom in private because it's not something everybody sees. It's something we do privately. Everybody knows that we go to the bathroom. It's okay. It's not bad, right? When kids are much older, we imbue them with actually a higher value. So one of the things we do with even young kids, what are things that get covered as juice? What do we cover up as from juice? Uh, the Sefer Torah, a mezuzah, tefillin, right? What do they all have in common? They're all holy and beautiful and special. Your body is too. And that's why you cover it up. So as they get older, we not only ex we expand the world, we, we're starting to inculcate the values of what healthy tzniyas is, what healthy body awareness is. So we want to move it away from just the pure concrete so that kids start to have a sense that this isn't just danger or taboo. There's refinement. There's a proper value. And it's something beautiful and sacred. I just want to sure, say sure. also that in reference to touching as a secret, again, I'm going to go back to that window of opportunity where I think it's important that kids know from you that anything related to touching is not a secret. So that if in school the kids are playing touching games, which they may well be doing, or if there's touching going on in bathrooms, in school, some type of game or something else, that your child knows that that's not a secret. They need to come and tell you. I can tell you that later with adolescent girls or even girls who have gone to seminary, an issue that has come up is that they may be aware that someone else has been molested or something. And the other person will say, you have to promise not to tell anybody. Girls are very dramatic. You have to swear you'll never tell anybody, right? And this girl is sitting with that secret that, that her roommate was molested. And this girl is suffering with it throughout her, her year. And what we tell them is touching is never a secret. You need to tell her that's not a secret you can keep. You can, she can help you decide who to go to to get help but she needs help and that that's not a secret you can keep anything related to touching the private areas of the body. It's not a secret. And there are different ways that, that it will come up. I'm going to say boys play games through adolescence and whatever. If your kid is the one that knows you can always come and tell me, then they will do that. They will come and say, I don't want to right. go to that party or I don't want to be with them because they play games that we shouldn't be playing. But 
I think the mm-hmm. the bottom line message in that very calm way of I'm your parent and I love you and I really care. And one of the ways I want to help keep you safe is that you know you can talk to me about anything related to your body and that I care and I want to know. And I I want to be really open with you and I want you to be open with me. You'll never be in trouble for telling me the truth. I'll always believe you and I'll always do what I can to advocate. I'll always be there. I'll always love you. This is so important because this really speaks to a whole issue that underlies what we keep saying. You see, when we don't speak these things out, we don't name body parts, we don't do the education, we don't talk to them about changes in their body and puberty and all these things that come along with this. So aside for them lacking information, they also pick up that when the going gets tough, my parents are not there. They bail. And aside for then I don't have a resource, there's also subconsciously, it's quite scary for children. So when the chips are down and if my friend got abused or if something's happening to me, A, I don't have the framework to talk about it, but also somewhere inside, I don't have that security. When you're proactive and you're role playing and you're showing, you know, modeling assertiveness and we're playing role plays of how do you say no? How do you stand up? Well, that's a bully. That's somebody on the playground. When something goes wrong with a teacher and you're there and you're saying, hey, let's go write a note to the teacher. Let's discuss it. You know, here's how we're going to handle this situation. When you demonstrate not just that I'm your parent, I love you. I'm your parent and I also protect you. I am an authority. I am your advocate. I am strong. So that lodges in the kid's brain. Oh, that's a secure base, as we call it in psychology. They're safe. Then A, that lets them actually explore the world healthy. And when something is difficult, they have that foundation. Whereas if we can't get there, and again, there are a lot of parents who they didn't have the education themselves. They've had their own difficulties around sexuality. They've had their own traumas and abuse histories. And this can be difficult. This is where you've got to dig deep. We all give our lives for our kids. We work hard for it. We give our blood, sweat, and tears. This is that place where you need to show them, not that, oh gosh, the world is scary. They're molesters. You're empowered. We're a strong family. Nobody's going to mess with us. Why? Because I'm going to yell and scream. I'm going to tell. My mom's going to go in there and raise heck. <laughs> you know, my dad, you don't want to mess with this kid. You know, and, you know that is that healthy nechbalis, as it's called, the healthy sense of self, that healthy pride in myself and my family, that lends security. And actually, without even saying a word, real abusers, they are our best assessors in the world. They pick up who are the vulnerable kids, who are the vulnerable families, and they target them. And the kids who have that sense and like, even, you know, you're not going to do this. My, 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 my mommy is a safety kid lady. You know, <laughs> she talks about this stuff. My, 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 my dad is not going to let the teacher do this or the principal do this or my friend just bully me. Right. I have, I'm part of a team without even saying anything that in the room, they give off an aura. You don't want to pick on these kids to play the games with them or try to abuse them because they make terrible victims. You want, you go somewhere else. And that's really the bedrock of what we're trying to do. We're doing it, expressing, giving the language and concrete. But what's most more powerful is we're instilling them with that confidence and safety and security. And I feel like I got these, you know, people in my corner. That's crucial. 
Totally, totally. So I, you know, I also another conversation that I think is very important for parents to be having is before, let's say, a child's going to camp for the first time, or maybe going to a dorm for yeshiva, or even more simply, even maybe earlier on, going for the first sleepover, or maybe not even just the first sleepover, but to reiterate it, sleepovers. What does that conversation look like? It's really the same thing. There should be very little that's new. Um, it should just be context dependent, right? So if a kid's going over to sleepover, you don't want to have it, okay? You don't want to be the parent that every single time your kid goes to any sleepover, you're doing this because it's like enough. And the kids like actually say, okay, you're, you're like Meshuggah Laisadava. You're crazy with this, like, uh, you know, enough. You have to find the right balance. But certainly, there's a quick reminder. All the safety rules apply. Nobody's allowed to touch you. You change in private. There's no locked doors. Whatever it is that you, right? That, that happens, I'd say, at a sleepover. For camps and dormitories. Simon, can I interrupt you a sec? Sure. I do think in terms of sleepovers, there's, and I totally agree with you, in terms of sleepovers and camps and everything else, parents really need to look at balancing. Is this your anxiety or is this education? Is this an opportunity where I need to educate them or am I just anxious and saying this over and over and over? Cause that they do pick that up. They do pick that up. So make sure that what you're saying is an educational opportunity that you need to have rather than your own anxiety. But one piece, let me, let's say whether it's camp or whether it's, um, or going to a sleepover. I always feel like it's a good opportunity because they are a little bit older to identify with your child and to say something like, you know, I remember sleepovers or I remember going to camp. You know, things get a bit loose at these kind of things. I can remember taking pictures, you know, or I can remember movies that were shown or I can remember games people played. and. I think they got a bit risque. I really do. And I want to talk with you about just remembering what the rules are, because sometimes I know I'm, I'm a girl. I know what it was like, or I'm a guy. I know what it was like. Um, but let's talk about some of those situations and maybe what you would, what you would do if some of that was going on. If there was a movie being shown that was inappropriate or if, you were uncomfortable with what people were wearing or what people were doing. Let's talk. Let's just have a little bit of a talk about what you could do with that. And I, I would have a realistic conversation like that. Um, I wouldn't do it every single time, but I think if you do it once in that remember the rules conversation, it also ties you together a little bit. So what, what, I, what I would what I would say to this is Debbie's hitting on a very important thing where there's sort of two issues. With parents, we get stuck on like, oh, a sleepover or sleepaway camp or a dormitory. And these are moments where there's definitely a place to fill in and review, etc. Debbie's hitting on that there's an entirely other issue that, again, this is not the primary conversation about this, but in general, as kids are getting older, as it's going to be natural, not only that they're going to experience joke and innuendo and potential showing and not, not even molestation, but as kids, right? Yeshiva bus is full of curse words and inappropriate jokes where some kids understand what they is. And as they get older, maybe they don't fully or they're now starting to. This is part of the developmental process of growing up. 
And we have to be able to articulate how normal it is not only to experience that, but how normal it is to want to joke, to want to watch those movies, to want to, uh, you know, break boundaries a little bit. We, we have to normalize the drives, the experiences to show them that not only, oh, I was a girl, but yeah, I'm, I'll talk to you and I'm going to, and, and the way actually my, my book is structured in terms of development is we want to preempt at every developmental stage. We want kids to know that not only, not only did I have it after the fact, right? I'm telling you, yeah, the yeshiva bus, you're going to hear kinds of things that language that we don't. Okay. Not because it's terrible and bad. I'm going to pull you off the yeshivas. That happens. How are we going to handle that? How are we going to handle peer pressure at different levels? The more you get ahead of that and the more you teach kids, and especially at their developmental junctures where their body's going to change, where everybody's going to start making jokes, where they're going to start sleepovers or sleepaway camp, you better be having conversations about what do you do when somebody says a dirty joke, when somebody shows a picture or wants to show something around? How do you extricate yourself in a way that you don't feel ashamed, but you don't have to be part of that? Right. And that, again, is a natural place to do all that. And it's incredibly important that kids realize that my drives, my wants, my own curiosity is 100 percent normal and OK. That doesn't mean I can act on it. And that's the, the, the tension. We want them to understand, normalize all the healthy things that are going to happen to them and their friends, but also maintaining the strict limits and boundaries and healthy rules and regulations that they're going to encounter. And obviously that grows, you know, in terms of camps aside for all these rules, they need to have, how do you change for the pool? How do you get in the shower and out of the shower? Do boys sit on your bed and give you a massage or not, right? There are a lot of things that start to happen that are within these boundaries. Do you have a three-hour deep, meaningful conversation behind the bunk with your counselor, Madricha, your friend, right? So we also need to move away from thinking about this as just private parts, right? Because this all happens within a culture, right, where there's a developmentally natural culture, there's an exploratory culture, there's human drives, and... The less secrecy, the less one-on-one, -on -one, the more normal a kid feels, the more they understand their bodies, their changes, their emotions, and somebody else's, the healthier they are. And just an important thing for parents that the overwhelming majority, over 80% of abuse situations occur in one-on-one -on -one settings. And if you just minimize that and you create transparency, you let kids know, you want to have that conversation with your counselor? No problem. In front of the bunkhouse where people could see and you're quiet, that's kosher. He wants to take you in the woods and have a conversation where nobody can see. Not kosher. I don't care what he's talking about. Right. He's not allowed to go. You're not allowed to go. Right. And somebody says, no, come. I want to talk to you privately. Let's go somewhere like there. You say, no, I'd like to do that here where we can see. Let's go somewhere where people can't hear us, but it's open. Right. So these are all again, there are a lot of details that come along. But the, the basic frame is openness, transparency, you understand yourself, you identified with them, and you've helped them plan for and try to predict what they're likely to face. And then even role play that with them. So when your friend says, oh, you're such a loser, you don't want to watch this movie, my mom's not over, we, we have a, a device under the cover, what do you do? Um, what do you do then? And then there's obviously the highest level, you know, both Debbie and I talk about this a lot, that there needs to be also an instantaneous escape button, a family password almost, you know, like I tell people, you know, 
if your kid, you're, you're uncomfortable in a situation, you pick up the phone and say, my stomach's really hurting me. I have food poisoning. That's code. We come, no questions asked. We come get you. We build that in, in front of things because kids in the moment, it's an enormous pressure to hang out, to go along with, and they don't have a way of extricating themselves. The more you've planned this out and the more it's, again, it was in a calm Shabbos afternoon in your living room, nothing was going on. And you had this brief conversation and you did a little role play. Like what would happen if, you know, your friend said, hey, hey, let's take a few extra shots or a vape or whatever it was that was developmentally in their challenge. And you did this, you're helping build that. And again, a lot, we need to think about this, not as how do I give the safety talks around touching that? How do I build healthy, resilient kids who can stand up to the vicissitudes of life, to the peer pressures, to all the things that we know that they're going to experience. And that goes into the other segue of all the body changes that they're going to have, all the arousal that they're going to have, the desire that they're going to have to look, to explore, to be curious. We can't stick our heads in the sand. What we like to do is we like to do safety education until fourth grade. You know, okay, nobody is allowed to touch you in your private parts. The area is covered by your bathing suit, sleepaway camp, sayonara. And this sort of second wave is... What happens when everybody's going pre-puberty, through puberty, there are hormones, there's curiosity, there's exposure, everybody's revved up, there are a lot of confusing things going on. How do you do that? And we need then developmentally to really be open and articulate about what's changing in your body, what's changing in other people's body, what are the drives, what's halakhically and ashkafically okay, what's our value system, and then in terms of health and safety, we need to give those strict messages again Nobody can show you. You can't look at images. It's going to be very natural for you to want to look at Nazi's imagery, whether that's in pictures or videos or on the street or magazines. And you can't do that. You might even want to touch somebody. That's perfectly normal. Hashem made it that way. It's beautiful. But you can't go ahead and do that. And if you're struggling with that, I want to know about that. I want to help you with it. So we want to inform that we're teammates rather than we're going to wag our fingers and say, it's not okay. We're going to be there to help them navigate these things. And that's crucial. That's the next level of development when kids are, you know, have age where they're going to be curious, curious about what happens in marital intimacy and then what happens during puberty. Those are all things we need to get out in front of and have these conversations and role play some of these situations for them to deal with. Sure, sure. I'm curious, you know, with everything that we've been talking about tonight, is there any difference between the conversation when we're talking to a boy about this versus when we're talking to a girl about this? I want to just say one thing, Shlemy. <laughs> I have one comment to make, and that is that there are definite conversations that I believe need to happen between fathers and sons and between mothers and daughters. And they're real windows of opportunity in building a relationship and having your, you, what I say to parents is you want to be that parent that your child can turn to you no matter what the question is, no matter what's sure. happened, that you are that parent. And that means you need to know how to open conversations with them. It's the same as we've been talking all night. But what I hear when I go over a lot of conversations and there are a lot of women in the room is you don't know my husband. He will never be able to have that conversation. And what I say is, A, do not give them a pass. And B, mom, give them a little credit. 
just like you can learn it, they can learn it. And they need to learn it. And these boys need their fathers. And so I'm going to say very briefly, slimy, that moms need to have conversations with their daughters through all these developmental stages. And dads, you need to pull up your bootstraps and learn how to have those conversations as well. Okay, Shlaimi. You, you got so that, that, that absolutely is what, what happens. Uh, for better or worse, um, the major- moms are more ready to have these conversations. I think some of it might be the natural maternal instincts to nurture and be there. I think also, for better or worse, women lo- learn the hard way what happens when you don't educate girls about their menstruation periods and things like that. There was so much catastrophe and trauma that moms learned that they have to at least start that. They have no choice. And so they started having these conversations. And that that really uh, took place way before the men. The men was just, you know, they're macho and bravado. I'm not having that conversation. And you're absolutely right that kids need to hear from their fathers. Um, what's going to change? What's going to change in my body? There's an uncomfortable piece that kids are going to get curious about what marital intimacy is even before puberty. And likely their exposure to what that is, whether that's on a bus or in camp or in, on, on Google, is likely to come at ages that are getting younger and younger, but roughly nine to 11 is very common. And so we want to preempt on that. But certainly the other piece is that before girls or boys are going to go through body changes, before their bodies, hormones, things are are going to change, they need to know what's coming down the pike. Then in terms of the struggles, now this is where there's a big difference between boys and girls. Fathers need to step in and talk about what is Taiva? What is... What is a nocturnal emission? What is allowed? What isn't allowed? How do you deal with it? How do you deal with the ongoing struggle? Um, and similarly, girls need a bigger emphasis on, you know, they need to know what's changing their bodies and their curiosity and their excitement. They also need on body image, on eating disorders, on all those kinds of things, on those, you know, two intense relationships. These are things that overlap in both genders, but there's greater emphasis for the different ones. Um, and then ultimately you layer the health and safety and abuse prevention piece into you are now going to have sexual urges, thoughts, fantasies, as are people around you. And all of the rules we taught beforehand apply even more so now. And some other people around you are going to have much more uh, revved up feelings and try potentially to talk or joke or show or touch as might you. And we explain that, you know, again, the things that are between you and a Kaddish Baruch Hu, what's, you know, not allowed, that's one level. And you have to deal with that, your own sneers, your own behavior, your own what you're looking at, what you're not looking at. But anything that involves somebody else is at a whole different level. And that's totally not okay. Whether that's somebody directing it at you or Hashem, you directing it at them. And, but it's okay. You're going to have the drive. If you're struggling with that in any ongoing way, <clears throat> talk to me, talk to mom, talk to your Rebbe that we want to get this out of the shadows because this is coming. We've all struggled with it. Oh, okay. But nobody talked to me. And so I used to get stuck in this. And now my, my elevator pitch to dads is boiled down to a few seconds. Um, and I've done this with thousands of dads throughout the world. Um, it's a very simple question. I, have them. I, I basically have them close your eyes and go back in time to when you were first exposed to anything uh, sexual, inappropriate, etc. Okay. Now go from there 
and close your eyes and go through when you first started to have thoughts or feelings, your body started to change. And what were your thoughts and feelings at the time? Was this a nice, pleasant time? Did you feel good about yourself and your body? Did you feel like you had somebody to talk to? Did you understand what was happening? Did you feel like a good Jew? And I just say, do you want your child to even experience what you experienced, let alone anything else like they might be exposed to in today's day and age, like somebody else teaching them, like somebody else exposing them? And inevitably, within 30 seconds, they get it. When we're in theory, how young, how old, what exactly to say, I get into a Gemara lecture and the whole thing devolves. When I get them into that child space, I'm confused, I'm lost, things are changing, I have no one to speak to, I'm all alone, I'm going through this with all by myself, I'm reading things, maybe even Svarim that are confusing me, right away everybody gets it. And it's like, oh, of course, why should that be something you do alone? When, and it's the saddest thing, when our kids need us the most, after infancy, the hardest time of life is pre-puberty through puberty, and what we say is, sayonara, I'll walk you down to the chuppah. We all need to step up, especially men. Be there for your kid. And I can't tell you, I've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dads tell me at this point, I was so nervous. I was busy. I was thinking. I was unsure. I had the conversation. It went a thousand times easier than I thought. And now my relationship with my kid is totally different. Why? Because he feels that I can talk to him about real life stuff, about the real struggles of life, not just abstract. I actually showed up as a dad. Shmuel said this years ago. He said, if we're going to be open with kids, they'll be open with us. And we've seen it now that it's transformed the relationship qualitatively, not just about this. They're open more about their friends' struggles. They're more about open about learning. They're about bullying. And thankfully, there's been a lot of abuse prevention incidences where kids said, oh, wow, this just happened to me. Like somebody came and tried this, but I knew what was going on. And I said, no way. And, you know, thankfully, we, we had this course of hearing this. It really is. It, it's, it looks much bigger than it is. It's this boogeyman. And when you actually go and sit down, yes, and you own. It's a little awkward for me. It'll be awkward for you. I'm not so sure how to do this. My dad didn't speak to me about it, but I'm going to try. And you just roll into it. Three minutes later, everybody's good. So we, we need them to step up and have these conversations. I just developed a seventh and eighth grade girls program. Um, and um, we've been rolling it out in different cities, doing trainings in different cities. And part of the program is actually, it's only a girls program. Um, but part of the program is teaching girls what do they need to talk to adults about, not just talk to their friends about, but talk to adults about. And it very interestingly, in one of the cities I was in, the girls were very upfront because I often say to girls, you know, this is a new program. And if you have feedback, let me know what that feedback is. And the girls said, it's really nice. You tell us who we need to go to and you tell us what are the things we need to talk to adults about. But you're not telling us how. What are the words we say when something is really hard? And I said to them, you know what? You tell me how to fill in the blanks here. You tell me. And they all got up and role played what they would do and how they would say it until they really formulated a discussion they could have with a parent, which was, I have something to say, and this is really hard for me. And I need you to, I need you to listen to me and I need you to believe me and I need you not to interrupt. I just, I just need you to hear me, but it's really important to me. And then they would say, it's really, this is their word, awkward. 
Um, right. And then, and then they would say what they needed. And it's really interesting because when I get to that part of the presentation, when I say the how of you talk to it, the girls are glued to it and, and you see how important it is. Sometimes kids don't know how to speak to our, the adults in their lives because they feel their adults don't know how to listen, don't know how to hear them when they're turning to them. So a child, many children, they intend to go say something that very early on in the conversation, they got get cues that this isn't going to go the right way for me, and they shut out or they recant. So whether it's a disclosure or a discomfort or whatever, parents have to learn how to hear. And part of what we teach girls is teach them how to hear. And, and it really closes. On one hand, I, I have very mixed feelings about that because on one hand, it's sad that the kids have to parent the parents. But I'm glad that they're stepping up and doing it. But I, I think it's the same modeling. What, what we end up saying is that things are hard and it's awkward. And what what's really cool is if your parent already told you that a couple of times because they had that conversation with you and said, you know what, this is a little awkward and I'm not sure how this is going to go, but I'm going to do it anyway. Meaning because what we've learned in the research in general, nothing to do with abuse, but in general is we can't make the world safer, but we can help people become more courageous. You know, and we help people be bolder. And much of what we do in terms of therapy is help people be more courageous, face fears, get the confidence to go and do it. Not because it's all going to be easy, but it's hard, but you got this. And that message, if it came more from the adults, and I'm glad the kids are doing it. You know, it's the Hey Shivle Vavos that sometimes they're having to teach us uh, to do it. But it can be joint. We can really do that if we, we show that to them. And, and I, I, you know, when I role play these things now, I actually even use my book. I take the book out. Why? Because so many parents are so stuck on what language will I use? And I tell them I'm the author of the book and I use the book. <laughs> I, I sit with the book and I say to my kid, this is a really good, my, my kids know I wrote the book. So it's, you know, I get to say these are my notes, but I tell parents, you know, this is a really good book that has this. I'm not exactly sure. It has a couple points that I'm going to read. And right, you own the awkwardness because it's, you're probably not going to get to a place with some of these conversations where it's perfectly comfortable. And your daughter or son is probably not going to sit there and say, oh, mom, dad, please tell me more about that. They're going to squirm and say, really? Uh, right? And that's OK. And we could say that, too. You know what? This might be un it's uncomfortable for both of us. And that's OK. What are you teaching them? Both both ways you're teaching Despite awkwardness, despite difficulty, despite confusion, despite having mixed feelings about things, we can face it. We can be there. And that's actually the essential part of listening is it's not all going to go smooth. <laughs> like, I might miss you. I might not get it. And, and you can tell kids that, you know what, I'm sorry. You know, I was distracted. Or, you know what, that thing you said to me caught me off guard. We're so busy trying to bubble wrap our kids or show that where we've got it all. What kids really need is for them to know I'm a human being too. I feel awkward. I get confused. I react poorly. I'm not always a great listener, right? And when we model humanness and we're more accepting of humanness and embrace it and say, okay, but I'm trying to do better now, that's one of the greatest lessons we can give kids.
because they're going to know and experience our humanness on the daily. There's nobody who knows our lapses and our struggles and the places where we don't communicate or listen well better than our spouses and our kids. And so the more we put it out there, that actually is the greatest teaching is the modeling. It's hard. I'm a human being. You're a human being. You know what? I get upset sometimes. I don't react well. And you, you get upset. And that is what's so important. The hardest things for kids going through adolescence or abuse prevention is, is this part of humanness? Is it okay that I went along with it again? I didn't scream. I maybe enjoyed it. We had this relationship. Why didn't I stop it? Why did he pick me? All of the confusing human feelings and the hybrid of I felt disgusting, but I, I, I like him. I like her. If the more we embrace the totality of dual conflicting feelings, dual thinking, the conflicts that are what it means to be a human being with a Yetzirah and a Yetzirah, with all the light and beauty and all the darkness, the modeling of that is actually the healthiest thing for kids in the long run. And we don't have to shy away from it. Wow, this is, uh, this is incredible. I mean, there's so much here, so much incredible, incredible. This, this, this whole episode is just such an incredible resource. Such a, a wealth of information to parents and uh, a tremendous thank you to you both. I mean, this is, uh, this is incredible. If, you, if, if either of you have a, a final message that you want to share, you know, I, I'd love to hear it. And if not, the, you know, I feel like you've shared a lot. So, you know, no pressure. But if you have a final message, uh, you know, feel free. I guess what I would just say my final message is really take a look at, at you being their parent and more of the feel of what both Dr. Zimmerman and I were talking about tonight of, of being present, of showing up, of being that parent. It won't always go smoothly and that's okay. Um, but it really is about you're opening the conversations. You're being the safe person and, and you being there to guide your children, to educate your children and for your children to tune to with their questions, with their concerns and with their worries. And I really do believe that the number one factor in preventing sexual abuse is the relationship between the parent and the child. Because if they can come to you about anything, you can either prevent it or stop it. It's when they can't come to you that you don't have any power, that you can't help them. So work on that relationship. That would be my final message. That was why, as you said in the, uh, in the opening episode, that that's, you know, the opening episode was all about that relationship for that reason. And this is like the greatest way to prevent it is with that, uh, really having that relationship and having that open, you know, the, the ability for our children to really share with us in a very open way. You know, I, I think your message is so crucial. I, I, you know, coined the slogan, it's not the content, it's the connection. You know, we get stuck here, what to say, when to say it, what are the exact words? It's never about the exact words. It's about that connection. It's about the relationship. Um, I do think, like, as, as we kept saying, is don't wait till you're going to get it perfect. Work out with your spouse, you know, what are the names? What are you going to say sort of when? And then go ahead and jump in. And tell the kids, model for them. You know, you could practice, you could practice with your spouse, with a friend, you could look in the mirror, say the term, say something to yourself till you get more comfortable. But the biggest thing is go do this. Because when you actually are there and you can stay relatively calm, 
if you say something that's way over the kids' heads, it just goes over their heads. And you can always correct it. This is not like a one and done thing. And it's not a text that they're going to write down. When you're there and you're showing and you're modeling through, that itself is the greatest modeling. But we have to be more authentic about this. We have to start naming body parts. We have to give these messages at early ages. We have to step up and teach kids about their own bodies, about safety, about the rules. And as they get older, we do have to teach them about development, about sexuality, about the urges and drives that they're going to experience and that other people are going to experience. It's a very simple thing. Be real. That means what would you really want to have had in your life? Would you want to have experienced the silence, the deafening silence, the confusion, the the, 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 the uncomfortable feelings in your body, the confusion in your thoughts and your drive, are you okay? You're not okay. You're a basisrol, you're a bentor, you're not a bentor. What's going on with you? Or would you rather have had somebody outline beforehand, give you the preemption messages, gives you the strength that they're always there with you. You have a team. You're not alone. You're not alone in your own head. You're not alone in the universe. So the more we give them a sense with this is part of the human condition, we're all going through this. There are challenges. There's darkness. There are people out there who don't always mean well, who will cross boundaries, but you're not a danger or victim of the world. You have strength and your loudest, your biggest tool is your voice and your courage and saying no. And, you know, if you need to, then do tell. The, we communicate from a place of strength, not of weakness, and that we have to start modeling that. You know what? I'm not going to say I can't. Oh, I'm not doing it. Not yet. I don't know. I'm not sure. Jump in and say own the awkwardness and do it. And ultimately, inevitably, your kids will gain tremendously, both in terms of their just health and wellness and development. They'll know what's coming. They'll feel more normal and healthy. They'll have a team behind them. And like you said, the best prevention they have is that confidence that comes from within that you, you've developed within them and that team support that they know they always have parents as their rock. That's my you know, ending message. Beautiful. Thank you both so, so much. Really, really appreciate your time and, and your expertise and really lending us your, your, your total insights into this. It's really so, so impactful. And uh, I know that this is going to help really change polyesterol. So thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Jews Next Door. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. I'd love to hear your takeaways. Reach out to us. Reach out to me at yair at jenoff.org. Hi at jenoff.org. Check us out on the website. You could leave a question there. We'd love to be in touch. Please be in touch. Check us out on Instagram at Parenting the Jews Next Door. Hit me up on Twitter at yeah, your man shell. And we got we're on TikTok now too. We have some great content, a lot of really great insights into parenting, tips, parenting pointers, reaction videos, and quotes. We have a lot going on. We have a lot of articles. You want to check it out? Check it out at genoff.org. You won't be sorry you did. And I look forward to hearing from you. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, make sure you subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Looking forward to another great episode next week.